anything of this, will it do? The late 1970s, you'd be better off in a bin bag. Hold on, listen to this. Gene Jury and the Blockhead. Number one in 1979. You're a punk. It's good to be a lunatic. I thought you were a, a big old punk with a bit of... Rockabilly phone in. Want to go see him? How do you mean in concert? What else is a TARDIS for? I can take you to the Battle of Trafalgar, first anti-gravity Olympics, Caesar crossing the Rubicon, or Ian Jury at the top rank, Sheffield, England, Earth, 21st November 1979. What do you think? Sheffield it is. Hold on tight. Live from the maths department at Alzarius University, where all the men have bad haircuts and all the women are still laughing about last term's winner of the badge for mathematical excellence, it's Doctor Who Podshot. Podshot. Welcome to Podshock 49. This is a special Podshock episode where we're reviewing the Series 2 of Doctor Who, or the 2006 series, uh, with David Tennant and Billy Piper. And for this special episode of Doctor Who Podshock, uh, we have some special guests with us from other podcasts. Uh, The uh, fellow podcasters are joining us uh, for this special episode. We're breaking away from our usual format. There won't be a news, features, and feedback section. We're just going to be doing this roundtable discussion talking about uh, the 2006 series. So um, joining us here um, is Ken, uh, our regular Hello. host here of Doctor Who Podshock. Uh, James is still on holiday, so James is not with us. Uh, he should be returning next week, I hope. Along with us, we have our, he's not only our Australian correspondent, but he's also one of the hosts of Cool Shite on the Tube, Chris Rattray. Hey, how are you going, everybody? And I'm glad to be here. Chris, it's great to have you here. And uh, joining Chris is uh, Ashley, also from Cool Shite on the Tube as well. And uh, both, I want to thank you both uh, for your segment in last uh, Pachak. Um, it was a great little segment that you two did. Thank you. No problem. And also joining us is Trev. Or um, Tre- do you, Trev, do you go? Do you prefer Trev or Trevor? Uh, hey, you is fine. I don't really care. Hey, Trev, you Trevor. is here. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't From really worry M-M-M me. Commentaries. Yes. Hello, loyal Pogchok listeners. How you going? And also with us, though, sort of. Um, in techno limbo right now, <laughs> in the void, so to speak, is um, is Paul from the from the Who cast, Paul Wilson, and uh, he, uh, unfortunately, due to limitations of Skype, um, he's not with us 
right now while we're talking, but he's going to join us later in the show, and um, we, we do apologize for the limitation there. We, we, um, Chris is going to step out, and Paul's going to come in, and so we're going to yes. time shift a little bit there. Is there so we'll just make up some stuff about Paul, shall we? Sure. Excellent. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Paul. I might sound oh. a little bit like Michael Caine, but that's because I'm from Britain. <laughs> Don't forget, he's an Aussie, too, so you have to mix that Aussie drawl in with it as well. Oh, well, Michael Caine's got that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving right along. Can we also, copper up a gum um, tree? <laughs> Also invited, though, unfortunately, uh, who were not able to attend this Podshock, this round, special roundtable Podshock, was Joe Barlow of Cinema Slave. Oh, uh, what's yeah. Joe doing that he couldn't come along? Recovering. He's doing a little surgery. Oh, <laughs> what, they couldn't get a I, Skype call into him at his hospital bed? Or uh, something tell like? me about it. I oh. mean, what, what a lame excuse is that, dear having dear. surgery. Yeah. And that's that's oh, probably Joe awesome. right now. <laughs> <laughs> They've unhooked the IV Hello, and hooked dear, the Skype into me. <laughs> so, yeah, so unfortunately Joe uh, will hopefully join us once um, he's recovered. Hopefully he'll bounce back very quickly. We miss Joe and look forward to his return with Cinema Slave. And, um, and whenever we get to, together again to do one of these roundtables, hopefully we'll have Joe on it as well. Yes. Well, uh, wish him a speedy recovery and, and whatever. Yes, absolutely. Um, also, who um, gave his um, his his um, regrets for not being here is Joey Donovan of American Who and the Sci-Fi Overdrive. Unfortunately, he's moving this weekend, and therefore he was unable to join us. Apologies and, um, accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Nita. <laughs> Uh, Russell Hale, our, our, one of our Canadian correspondents, uh, would have been here as well. Uh, he's from the Ramble with Russell podcast, um, and he was unable to attend due to work-related um, issues. But he did send a pre-recorded piece that we'll play later on. Cool. Um, oh, lovely. It's probably good we didn't have all those people, or we'd be really doing some mega time sharing for this recording, mm -hmm. wouldn't we? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'd be hopping on and off every five minutes. And um, and just a little call out to Tom Dillahunt, a podcast who who uh, we all kind of are concerned about him. He hasn't had a show in some time, and uh, I think his feed just uh, the URL is no longer working. And um, so we he was invited too. We hadn't heard back from him, so we just hope that um, all is well with him and his family. You know, because it's been a it's been a couple months since he did a podcast, which is unlike him. I'm back. And, yeah. We didn't even know you were gone. I Welcome back. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, let's jump right Sorry, in. Sorry, it, it dropped out. I didn't know whether I had... Oh, okay. No, I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize that you had dropped out. But we were just killing time. Okay, you got back, Chris. Don't worry. Fantastic. So... Uh, once again, thanks to everyone for being on board, and we're going to uh, jump at, jump right into this, just as Ken said. Uh, we're going to run down the series, and why don't we just start <laughs> Can you with, stop uh, saying Earth. run down? <laughs> okay, we, we're going to stroll <laughs> through the series. Recap. Play out through the series at great speed. <laughs> so, um, 
Trev, what was your, um, well, well, I guess since I'm facilitating, I'll, I'll kind of just start off, started off by saying that um, I thought New Earth was, um, it, it was a good start for the series. It's um, obviously after the Christmas invasion, we had several months with, and, and this kind of came, it was good to finally have a story that was sort of outside of the normal setting of Earth, even though this was New Earth. Uh, it had um, a nice momentum to it. Uh, there were some issues as far as making sense and the whole Cassandra transference and how it needed a mechanism at first, but then it didn't. But I didn't felt I didn't feel that really interfered with the story or the or or the pacing of the episode. And also, there's some debate about how it all concluded. And, but so, but overall, I I, I thought it was. Um, a, a good start for the series. So, um, what, Trev, what was your take on it? Well, I hate to be contrary, but <laughs> no, I, I, I wasn't that particularly impressed with New Earth. I'll say just as, just as a general overview that um, the, the stories of this season, any time that I wasn't particularly enjoying the story or the premise, I, I, I found great comfort in watching David Tennant as the Doctor. And I think with New Earth, that shows it to me a lot that... Um, I wasn't particularly impressed with the story. Um, I, I didn't like Cassandra last year. I, I didn't think she needed to come back again as a recurring villain this year. But any mm -hmm. shortfalls in that um, were sort of made up for by watching Tennant. Um, the, there were some wonderful little character beats from David and this all that stuff with the gift shop and um, yeah. him, him saying, I like impossible and stuff like that. So watching Tenant sort of makes up for any shortfalls the story has. So um, as a story, I didn't particularly like New Earth. Like you said in your intro there, even though they're not on Earth, they may as well have been. Um, I mean, you've yeah. got sort of New York cop type people, you had nurses, you had everything to suggest that this was Earth. And if you'd missed the line at the beginning about them being on another planet... If, if a viewer came in five minutes late, that they would think that this story was set on, you know, Earth and, you know, sort of 500 years' time. So... Sort of, except for, it, it, sort of like Planet of the Apes, but <laughs> the cats involved. <laughs> and no apes, yes. Um, but I think that um, they may as well have set it on Earth anyway, because for all intents and purposes, it was an Earth-based story. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's me. Chris? Yeah. Uh, uh, what was your take? Well, uh, I'd like to pick up on a, a few points. I think as Doctor Who fans, we can be pretty hypersensitive about each episode as they come out because it's so new and we've been wanting it for so long. And so we look at episodes like New Earth uh, a lot more critically than what the regular new viewer of Doctor Who or the casual viewer of Doctor Who looks at Doctor Who as. Um, personally, for me, New Earth was an okay episode. Uh, coming after the Christmas invasion, I had a lot of high expectations for something that was really was really going to suck me in. Um, New Earth I found to be light Doctor Who, Doctor Who light, um, mm -hmm. compared to the Christmas invasion. I was expecting um, the series to, to, to kick off with a real strong bang, but that came in the next episode, I found. Uh, I did like... Uh, how Cassandra's story was wrapped up. Um, it's nice yeah. to see uh, Russell T Davies treat all of his characters with compassion. Not just the villains aren't just all evil, and they deserve 
a second chance, just like Rose and, and the rest of her family gets at the end of season two. Or at least she deserves a, a an end to her story. So as an individual, I found Cassandra's fate really compelling and quite emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, which sort of made up for the rest of the episode, which I felt was kind of light. But I do agree with what Trevor said. Uh, watching David Tennant's Doctor uh, develop, and, and especially the lift scene I really enjoyed where they, he and Rose take the different lifts and he says, watch out for the... She goes, what? Oh, you, you'll find out, you know. That was a really, <laughs> yeah. that was really different to, to Christopher Eccleston's uh, what he might have done with that mm. character or that situation. But uh, talking to people around the office, for example, who aren't as huge fans as me, uh, they thought that that particular episode was excellent. And, you know, I take great heart in that, in that um, even though I might look at it in a, in a particular way, people around mm-hmm. me who are being exposed to this stuff for the first time. Some people that I know haven't even seen the Eccleston stuff, but they've seen uh, the Christmas Invasion now on the Earth. They're just like, wow, this is so so awesome. So I'm like, just wait. It gets better. <laughs> you know? So that's uh, that's my take on, Very on good. it. Um, Ashley? Um, yeah, I have to agree. I found it a highly average episode. I mm-hmm. I enjoyed David Tennant for the first half of the episode, but when he started in on his whole "there is no higher power than me," mm, yeah, yeah, I'm not a fan of that. And then also at the end, when they're all cured and he's hugging them, going, "Oh, go go hug them! Oh, yes, I fixed you." That's just that, um, too that, much arrogance um, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point that you made as far as, like, there's no higher power, power than me. Uh, that, one thing that I don't like in, with the new series is uh, the fact that, uh, for all intents and purposes, there's uh, no Time Lords kind of that, that, that the Doctor has to answer to anymore. The, um, where in the past he was a renegade from his own people, and, um, of course, we had a couple trials and whatnot, but yeah. it, it's... It just seems that um, I kind of liked it better when he was more on the run than being just the sole survivor. Sure. Yeah, and I we mean, there were, there were nice moments. It also seemed that in the past um, he did things because he felt, he personally felt morally obligated, not that he was required to because he's the highest power or whatever. It just seemed, mm-hmm. it seemed more a reflection of his character to just say, you know what, it's the right thing to do this uh, mm, as yeah. opposed to sure. like you were saying about well I, you know there's no power higher than me so he's the end all of morality yeah, in this the situation stops here. yeah yeah too too godlike so ken what was your um take on new earth i like new earth i agree with with what a lot of people are saying that you know again they they got off earth but they didn't at the exact same time um that it was uh they sort of sidestepped getting off of Earth in this season. For, they bought themselves a little bit of time. Uh, I enjoyed David Tennant's performance a lot. Um, I, I particularly... He had a, a, a number of different takes on the, on the role that he tried to get in in, in the first episode. Mm-hmm. At the sensitive side with the face of Bo and... Um, 
and then some of the humorous stuff. When he got a chance to be Cassandra, David Tennant really, you could see both David Tennant and Billy Piper just enjoying playing another, you know, another facet of their character, or, or allowing to being allowed to do a few things that were outside of the box. I, I thought that was a. I thought the episode was just fun. It was just a fun episode. It's mm -hmm. way to kick off the second series. Um, I don't, you know, I, I've noticed with with Russell T Davies, he comes out from the start with a particular type of story, uh, but never hits you with a home run right off the bat. Just says, I'm going to give you something strong, something to lure you mm. in, be comfortable with the new doctor and the new situation, and take it from mm. then. Well, that's probably I mean, very, sorry, to, just probably very smart. So then the next episode doesn't have to top that huge beginning. Right, it, it has a certain, it starts to build. Mm. Um, the same thing happened with series one, where the story Rose is a nice introduction, but it really isn't the strongest thing they have that season. And it actually sets up the end of the world to be even better, to take it to the next level, to let you grow in the series. I think yeah. he does the same thing in, in, in season two. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think everyone had mentioned David Tennant in this story as, as, as a good thing, and I, I agree. I, I believe that after the Christmas Invasion, which was his regeneration episode, and he was a little... Uh, you know, with every regeneration, the Doctor is usually not himself yet. But I think he really jumped into the role. And here we are, his first episode where he's, you know, the Doctor from the beginning to the end. And I think he filled the shoes of the Doctor and, and was the character. And, and it, he didn't really didn't really take time for him to grow into the role. I think yeah. he assumed the role very quickly. Can I just yeah. add, I, th I felt sure. that there was some time had passed between the Christmas Invasion and New Earth. Mm -hmm. Like, they already felt mm -hmm. quite comfortable with each other. There was no awkwardness. Yeah. Rose already appeared mm -hmm. used to him in his new guise. And perhaps mm -hmm. for continuity purposes, for the books or things like that, perhaps they intentionally left a little gap to fill in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because the season yeah. really does take place almost one after another after another. The stories have a tendency to stack up and, and, and run into each other. So perhaps... Uh, Russell T. Davies intentionally leaving a little room for the novels to fit in. Mm. Yeah. Which is nice. It, it's nice. Yeah. Um, Big Finish is running into the difficulty uh, with some of the previous doctors in fitting in. Well, now they want to have Tegan in with Peter Davison. Well, geez, how mm. do we get Tegan and Davison together without having the other companions and still keep it within the continuity? There are some challenges with that. Sure. And you know, here, here, Russell T. Davies builds in a little window to slot everything you want to slot into it. I don't know if it was intentional. I think, I think he's really, I think he's that, that clever a writer and producer. I, I have a lot of faith in him. I really, I'm enjoying the way he's envisioned. You know, he's he's looking at a bigger picture. He's not just saying I'm producing a TV series. He's looking at producing an iconic TV series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well. Moving along, the next episode, um, Tooth and Claw, uh, obviously takes place after New Earth. It's um, it's a good, I, I felt it was a an interesting, good story. It's um, kind of the the again the pace and momentum is there. Great effects. I, I think mm. it's probably one of the best effects that we've seen as far as werewolves on on television. Uh, enjoyed the whole the little reference to Jamie when. Um, 
you know, when he introduces himself and he, he took on his name. Mm. And um, <laughs> the Torchwood ending seemed a little forced, but I guess, um, you know, it was um, it had to be worked in there somehow. Um, so anyway, I, I thought it was a it, it was a good episode and, um, and and it continued the momentum, I thought, of, of the series. I, so if, if, yeah, if, go, I, go ahead. I totally agree with that. Um, something Doctor Who's always done very well, and I can't think of a story where they haven't, is they've always done historical stories well. We've got, you know, the original series, which has some of its most classic uh, stories as being historical ones, Mask of Mandragora, uh, Talons of mm -hmm. Wenshang, all those sort of stories are the ones that are fondly remembered. And, and we find with Tooth and Claw that we have another story, which is in essence, you know, a pseudo-historical story, and everything in it hits its mark pretty well. Um, like, like you said, we have the effects, which are fantastic. The uh, setting is used really well. It's, it's a very tightly contained, claustrophobic episode, so it's um, something that they don't feel the need to have the werewolf roaming across the moors. It's all set within that uh, one Torchwood estate, which, mm. which makes it very, very scary indeed. Um, Tennant was great as usual. I enjoyed the way that he solved the problem in the end, sitting there and reading the books from the library and, you know, sort of trying to figure things out and uh, figuring out what was in the walls of the library and all that sort of thing. Um, Rose was quite good. Rose actually got something decent to do for once, um, mm -hmm. rallying all the uh, captors in the uh, dungeon, you know, to get out and, you know, sort of mm -hmm. getting them free and uh, being involved with what the Doctor was doing a lot more actively than I think we've ever seen it before. And that really... Yep to me, um, now having seen the later ones, really was the first signpost that we now have a companion that's very, very confident with the Doctor, that she's, uh, I suppose, universe-worldly, and, and she's taking a lot more of an active role in solving these problems and helping the Doctor. So, yeah, mm. I, I, I thought Tooth and Claw was great. But, and, mm. but I also agree with you that I felt the Torchwood ending was a bit tacked on, um, was perhaps even unnecessary to a certain extent. I don't think we really need that sort of thing. Um, I agree. After, after last year's Bad Wolf arc, we, we were all primed for Torchwood being the arc this year, and they're trying to start that here with the, with, uh, with the uh, Torchwood estate and the other Torchwood references throughout the season, but I don't think it really ever comes to fruition. So now, now having seen the whole season sort of reinforces to me that I don't think they really needed all that Torchwood stuff in Tooth and Claw. Um, it, mm -hmm. it would have been enough to have the reference in Army of Ghosts slash Doomsday and for us to, as viewers to remember back and have, yeah. to have seen yeah. that clue without having um, Princess uh, Queen Victoria say it explicitly. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just felt that the Torchwood references were going to lead to something a, a lot bigger. But then, once we finally saw the season, it didn't really seem to lead anywhere, and it, even Torchwood themselves were a bit, um, you know, unit-like. I, th I think it's been diluted because we know so much about Torchwood in advance. It's being reported mm -hmm. on in the Doctor Who press. You can find out what it is if you want to. You know, it's an mm. organisation that looks after alien artefacts and investigators, that sort of thing. So the surprise is diluted. Yeah. I think that the the whole um, doctor being banished thing, I just didn't sit well with me. I mean, he, you know, it just, I don't know. I, I I didn't really agree with that. I know there was a few people who said, well, you know, this is 
there's a certain reason for it or they, they tried to make some sense of it. I just, it didn't sit well for someone, and I said this on my, in the original podcast uh, review of the episode, thinking back to John Pertwee's doctor, you know, would John Pertwee have been thrown out of the country for, you know, that kind of thing? Like he's, he was always so regal and dignified and, you know, the, the, all the things that he said he used to name drop. I just, to me, it, it just seemed a little weird that, you know, the queen would, banish the doctor it's just you know he's a hero i, I quite liked that reversal it, it really <laughs> was a bit of a surprise at the end of that episode and i think it it's uh makes the doctor it puts him down a peg or two because here we have him in new earth saying there's no higher power well actually on old earth in queen victoria's britain she is the highest power mm. And he, he is obviously something not of this earth. So to her, in her understanding, in a Christian understanding, he is of a supernatural nature, which is mm. something that should not be toyed with in her, in her um, view. world view. Yeah. So it was a really surprising ending, and I was glad for it because they these two uh, gadabouts the universe did need a bit of a kick in the teeth. There, as you said, in, there, there is no higher power. There are no Time Lords looking over the Doctor now. So his behaviour is, is a little bit um, ch childlike in a way. Who's going to discipline this man? Who's going to mm -hmm. bring him down a notch or two? No, that's a fair point. You know, it's, it's mm. a, it, again, that's what I say. Some people, some people are really rake this episode over the coals and, and I, I didn't really, really dis wow. dislike it but I noticed in some of the some of the, just the um, surveys on the website it was just some people you know gave this one TARDIS groan and that kind of thing and I didn't really you know I didn't see that I mean I don't think no. it was the best story this season no. but I certainly didn't think it was the worst I and mean, that's for sure it was Not certainly a very high quality. The direction was was very good. There were some really experimental things happening with the cinematography. Um, like mm -hmm. there was some really the martial arts. Yeah. Um, thing. Yeah, and even when they were holed up in the library, being menaced by the werewolf, there were some tilted angles and there were some quick zooms and pans. Yeah. Um, and all the performances were outstanding. I thought from from the lead monk guy to Queen Victoria herself, who was such a tragic figure, you know, she mm -hmm. wanted to communicate with her husband. She was on a pilgrimage, and uh, to to have this possibility to be surrounded by her husband's world, so to speak, and but then to be thrown into such a chaotic situation with a, a supernatural force, it, it, she did well as a regal figure to to contain herself and to be cool and calm and collected. But you could see underneath all that emotion boiling away it was just a, a really subtle nuanced performance from that actress i, I really enjoyed it mm -hmm. yeah I, I mean i think with what you were saying here that um many rate tooth and claw lowly i don't think it's because they rate it lowly i mean in in my overall season ranking tooth and claw rates in the bottom third but that's not due to the fault of the episode. It's just due to mm. the high quality of the rest of the season. And yeah. Yeah. Tooth and Claw has to sit higher. somewhere. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, we've got six, seven, eight episodes in this story which um, rate a lot more above Tooth and Claw, which automatically sure. puts that episode down the list. So yeah. um, it's, it's just, I suppose, indicative of the high quality of this season. 
You, you um, got to look at it from on the bell curve, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, you have to put stuff in that tenth, eleventh, twelfth, and thirteenth place, and yeah, it's not yeah. because Tooth and Claw's bad. It's just because there's episodes that are a lot better. Mm. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And you were mentioning before about the historical things, you know, even just looking back at last season, a story like The Unquiet Dead, which, you know, sort of gave, again, another, we were saying strong stories that are in historical context. That's one of the strengths of Doctor Who, is that it's not yes. just science fiction, but the time travel element can really be explored. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and I enjoyed the, the dark mood, and I think this... This episode, I think Lewis and I were, were talking about it when we first saw it, that this was the first really cinematic episode. I mean, it really, yeah. it, it felt like watching a movie. It, it was that, the, the, the cinematography, the special effects, the, the things that they were doing mm. were at another level, at, at very nearly a movie level. Yeah. I thought they were the yeah. best CG werewolves I've seen in a long time. Well, ever. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and, yeah. for, and for uh, television on top of that, exactly. Actually, mm. Really, you know, when you think about the millions and millions and millions of dollars that American the movies spend, the budget doesn't really compare. It doesn't. Mm. It, right. It, it's just proof that it's just sometimes they just waste the money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because here's, a, here's a company working on a budget that makes great special effects. Yeah. And if you saw the confidential, you saw that they had an actor actually standing in for the werewolf, and sort of like how they did um, Gotham in uh, Lord of the Rings, and you know, then they put the they they CG'd him in afterwards, and oh, yeah. I mean, it was just like movie making, it was yeah. like filmmaking. Yeah, and quite a violent werewolf too. We there was some very extreme implied violence in the episode mm -hmm. with the werewolf tearing people apart pretty much. Yeah. You saw the horror yeah. on Billy Piper's face. But that's awesome because kids need to be scared. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's it again, it Doctor Who will show lots of violent things, but they will yeah. very rarely show blood. They yeah. will very rarely show... I mean, they, they wouldn't show gore. a werewolf munching down on someone. Um, yeah. There's... Very little gore. I mean, say apart from the uh, Colin Baker, John John Nathan Turner era, where yeah. J and T delighted in putting something gory in every single story. Um, yeah. As a general rule, Doctor Who doesn't really show the gore, but mm. but they imply the violence yeah. or they see the reaction to the violence from someone else's point of view. Which and is a much more the, effective way of doing it, anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the violence is always there. Part is part of the storytelling. It's not there just for the sake of having violence. It's all that's it, right. It works to to tell the story, and and it's it's it would have been if you didn't have it, it it would stand out more. Mm. You know, so it, well, it's a I mean, it's thing. it's just interesting to me when I've heard criticisms of of TV being violent, or you know, you have these Mary Whitehouses of the world, you know, drama. Essentially, can it, you know the majority of drama can be violent. I mean, where's the Dra conflict? Well, you know, that's right. Drama is conflict. Conflict. Mm -hmm. And there's different kinds of conflicts. There's, there's, you know, uh, let's say a, you know, where you were in a legal conflict, where you mm. have someone who is fighting for their life in a, in a court of law. But then there's also someone who's taking aim at your life in one way mm. or another. And in order to portray that. There are, you know, there's consequences and there's there's things that you have to build up to. So, to me, violence is necessary. Yeah. Uh, in 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 dramatic pieces, many times, not always, but more often than not. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I right, can so, I say one more sure. thing? Did mm -hmm. anyone notice? Again, this is Russell T Davies playing with dualities. The New Earth was all about cats. Tooth and Claw was all about dogs. 
Back to back. He's done it a couple times in the season. He's he's had back to back stories that that almost mirrored each other. Um, mm. And jumping into the, you know an episode coming up um, with school reunion, and then right after that, girl in the fireplace. You had mm. both both episodes where they were you know um, exploring the. Uh, leaving people behind and having to, you know, walk away and, and, and the doctor's yep. age and things like that. So, yeah, back-to-back in this case with the animals and, and then that one with, mm. with a different topic. But mm. the third episode, of course, is School Reunion, which mm. I'm going to throw the ball to Lou and ask him his take on School Reunion. Well, the key word in School Reunion is reunion, and that's really um, the high point of this episode is the return of Sarah Jane Smith and, um, of course, K-9 as well. But it was really interesting seeing a companion meet up with the Doctor again. I, I know this has happened in the, you know, re the other anniversary shows, but this time, you know, it wasn't an anniversary show, and it was just um, you got to see the inside of Sarah Jane Smith and, you know, what she went through after... She left him, and and what a companion's life is, you know, after experiencing life with the doctor. I'd like and to say that, that she was a... bigger on the inside after having been with the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> good point. Um, <laughs> thank Cross for the edit button. <laughs> so uh, there was also the the exploration of, of the doctor as well. Why he doesn't, you know have companions linger for too long and, you know, because of his age and, you know, he goes on while, you know, humans don't, you know, and um, it's um, the, the, the episode, um, another high point was uh, Murray Gold did an excellent job with the music and um, nice thematic cues with... Um, well, this whole um, season, F Murray Gold has walked on water yes. when it comes to the music. Yeah. It really I, is I, spectacular. Uh, I, I agree, yes. And... Um, here he had some music for um, the the master the, the schoolmaster's theme and um, and we're gonna get as Ken just said throughout the next uh, through the rest of the season we'll hear more thematic uh, pieces of music that, mm. that are used um, very effectively. Mm. So um, so yeah, I, I really this is one of the one of my favorites of this of this series and for me it was all about Sarah Jane Smith and K9 returning and, and tying it into the past and without them the the existing stories with the existing story with the schoolmaster and the, um you know the species and all that was so so but um to me it's really was about Sarah you know Sarah Jane bumping into mm. the TARDIS and re that relevation It's and, interesting um, you say that Lou because um I was listening to your review there and you barely mentioned that other subplot with the aliens and that um, because that part of the story is absolutely total nonsense. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it was there because it had to be there. There had to be some sort of conflict, had to be some sort of, yeah. you know, um, something that they were fighting. You know, I actually, um, my other half said he's seen exactly the same story in a story he read as a child and it was almost a direct rip-off. Really? Yeah. I'm not sure what it was called, mm -hmm. but it's almost as though they went, let's put Sarah Jane Smith in. Oh, it's too hard to think of a story. That one looks good. It's a very similar sort of thing. I mean, you have, you know, these aliens coming to Earth and hijacking a couple of high school eggheads, you know, and lash them up to 486 computers and, you know, have this sort of <laughs> gestalt going. So, I mean, it's, it's mm. something you see in other stories where they use the, you know, combined power of 
hundreds or millions yeah. of minds to um, crack a code or you know to work out something. But that 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 whole part of the story was incredibly silly. That 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 they could solve this incredibly universe perplexing problem with these high school students and a few computers. But um, again, the, the, ships. The, story, yeah, oh, yeah. the story was almost <laughs> secondary to, to the whole, you know, again, like Lewis was saying, the story really was secondary, but, but credit to the show for surrounding them with people like Anthony Stewart Head, who took mm, this yeah. part of this secondary story and just really relished this bad guy role and, and really yeah. created something... Mm -hmm very special with it and, and as I said yeah. I would love to see more of him I, I think he was spectacular he was great yeah same here yeah and chilling oh, oh. you know ch chilling in his cool and calmness yeah uh, Lewis reminiscent of Roger Delgado's mm -hmm. master where it's just that less is more kind of attitude yeah mm. sorry I didn't mean Lewis, to cut you off that's fine um Lewis says that mm -hmm. reunion is the key word in this uh episode I'd, I'd like to say school is also very important because the entire episode is an education it's almost it could have been called the education of rose tyler in uh meeting a prior companion and finding out seeing herself perhaps in a, another 30 years and mm -hmm. seeing the absence of this man in her life rather than the presence so it it really brings home to her and necessarily so that this journey must end at some point and do you think mm -hmm. if now after seeing the full season and, and knowing what happens at the end of Doomsday, do you think that this episode is even stronger when you look back on it? Well, to that to that mm. vein, I, I just to kind of on a single similar theme, mm. uh, Mickey. This is his story arc. This is where his he begins to change as well Very much because so. he realizes that he's just the tin door. That's and right. now after seeing the series as a whole, looking back at it, you can see this is where it's from. This this is the starting point, the jumping point where Mickey begins his metamorphosis to where we see him in Doomsday. And thank Christ right, it's for this, that. It's the jumping on point where the other characters must have a desire to learn because prior to that Mickey didn't want to be part of the doctor's world or open himself up to the possibility of being something greater than what he was but in this mm -hmm. episode he realizes what he is he's the tin dog and is determined to do something about it yeah absolutely mm. yeah I mean it, it's 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 fantastic to finally to see them do something positive with Mickey I've I've gone on record with our own podcast and whatever that I've hated the Mickey character from day one. Um, he, he, he's a whining, petulant, little annoying twit who changes his mind a bit whether he wants to be with Rose and then he doesn't and then he storms off in a hissy fit. But season two, we finally have some sort of self-realisation that, um, that perhaps he needs to change and not the people around him need to change. Mm. And then that then leads on to both the uh, Cyberman two-parters with um, mm. him him finally finding his purpose in life, although it's probably not the purpose that he thought he would uh, end up with. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's been a total reversal for me this year with Mickey um, to, to finally see a character that actually adds something to the story rather than um, detracts from it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Alright, anyone else have anything to say about, anything more to say about School Reunion? Do try the chips. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd just like to chime in and say, I want to stick around for the Girl in the Fireplace discussion and then I'll leave. Okay. okay. Well, I, 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 I just wanted to quickly ask you all something about School Reunion. Um, I'm interested in 
hearing what you thought about Sarah Jane's characterisation, um, the way she's portrayed, the way she um, is, is shown to have been effectively pining for the Doctor for the last 30 years. Um, that's, that's probably one part of the return of Sarah Jane that I didn't particularly like. Um, Sarah Jane. I think was, she would have moved on years ago. De well, yeah, well, not yeah, well, moved on to a certain extent, but I I wouldn't expect Sarah Jane, being the gutsy stealer companion that we've all grown up mm -hmm. with, um, to then say, oh, you know, then leave the doctor and go, oh, okay, I couldn't really do anything, you know, I didn't marry, I didn't do this, you know, my life is at a standstill, and, and I've just been waiting for the TARDIS to reappear, and, well, and she's obviously. It's perhaps it's only with the Doctor that she was that fiery, steely person. Without the Doctor, or she was that beforehand. But she was like an investigative reporter. She she yeah, she, she right. was a reporter. It was very headstrong. She basically infiltrated her way into Unit Headquarters in the mm. uh, Time Warrior. So I mean, she wasn't this wimpy, you know, sort of Joe Grant type assistant to begin with. She she was always that gutsy, headstrong woman. Um, and and I don't think it was with her time in with the Doctor that um, gave her those qualities. She she no, always right. had them. Um, you're right. I mean, to me, unless she was just so busy, you know, maybe she she kept being, you know, headstrong and just used this as a crutch, you know, as an excuse. So I'll, mm. you know, I, you know, I've been with the doctor and, yeah. and just kind of falling back on that, and I don't know, I'm just trying to justify it, I guess. Well, for me, I. Can offer something. Perhaps it's that gutsiness and that headstrongness that came out in a different, more softer way when she actually revealed to the doctor her feelings after having been left. That takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. And also, she has to do it then because she doesn't know if the doctor's going to leave That's at any right. moment. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I just felt that seeing her again in school reunion diminished um, my feelings for the way she was portrayed back in the seventies, and I felt that through watching the confidentials and through watching the extras and all that sort of stuff involved with this episode, that the production team feels that way about her. That that she isn't as gutsy and headstrong as I thought she always was, that this new production team thinks that um, they're... I, I, I can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to draw the parallels between Rose and the doc, sorry, Rose and Sarah Jane, that they're trying mm -hmm. to show that the, here are two companions that have very strong feelings for their doctor, but they're showing it in different ways. And with Rose, it then makes her realise that she's got to change the way she thinks. But I think by changing the way Sarah Jane feels about the doctor and his absence, that it kind of changes and diminishes the way she used to be back in... Uh, when she was originally doing the part, personally, anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I mean, I didn't take, I didn't come away with that, but I, I understand what, mm, having mm. heard you, I can understand what you're saying. I was just a little surprised at the end when the Doctor makes Canine Mark IV that, mm. you know, having known that they were make, setting up a new Canine animated series and they, you know, have this redesigned Canine that. Um, he wasn't introduced at that point. I, I think that considering how much they set up Torchwood through the whole season, I was expecting if we were going to see a new canine, it was going to be the new canine. Uh, it was just a little well, weird. That's that series is is um, outside of that's being done with Disney, and I think it's going to be its own storyline. So I'm assuming they're probably going to want to set it up themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and we're going to see whatever mock number you know that canine is. It, it, it does look very different than what canine that we we all know and love. All right. Well, we're gonna. Anyone else? Um, any other 
comments about school reunion? We're going to move on to the girl in the fireplace. Awesome. So, yeah. um, now this is this episode kind of stands out as for many people their favorite episode, and um, I, I have to say it's not one of mine. It's not. I didn't dislike it. It's not. I I, I like the episode. I just. It's just. I didn't have a strong reaction to it as so many others have had, and um, I, I just felt um, the reason being, and 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 again, I. I I do let me just preface this that I, I do like the episode I do mm. you know enjoy it it's just um, I just had some problems with it that I felt de uh, distract uh, deterred from it being a, um, as high you know as I would like it to be as, as far as liking it um, I, I thought it was just a little off track um, the whole and and, and I and, and again I'm keeping my kind of summaries kind of brief because I you know we already done this in past episodes mm. so um, I, I don't want to kind of rehash what I've already said in the past, but just to summarize it, um, I, I thought the Doctor was a little off character by that, meaning that, that, that well, first, the whole Vulcan mind meld thing really <laughs> kind of <laughs> threw me off, and uh, how he, I, I mean, I understand he's felt a very strong feelings for Madame Papador, um, but I just, it just... It didn't to me. It didn't seem any stronger than maybe his feelings towards Rose or or any other other people that he kind of cares about. I I didn't really find him falling in love type of no. um, message that that so many others have sore and 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 if you see the confidentials, exactly that's what they were going after. And it just seems out of character for him so to fall so helplessly you know um in such a short period of time you know after 43 years where you don't you, you didn't see him going into that yes but no one ever mode. grabbed him and snogged him before mm. can i can i have injected <laughs> yeah, well, of my and thoughts. you fell in love with Captain Jack too. Yeah, that's right. Yes, <laughs> hand in hand, swinging off into the off into the sunset. May, may I offer my thoughts very quickly, sure. and then I'll leave. Um, uh, <laughs> I I I think uh, out of character for who for Doctor Number. 10, Doctor Number 9, Doctor Number 8. I think it was completely in character for Doctor Number 10 because we see a very short time between the Doctor having his emotions engaged, this Doctor, and his emotional reaction to it. He gets angry very quickly. He mell mellows out just as quickly. Why can he not? Mm -hmm. Uh, meet someone's gaze I across suppose. the room and fall mm -hmm. in love with them. We don't see what happens. Uh, we see, well, it's off screen what happens at that particular dance that he goes to, which he returns back from drunk or, or seemingly drunk. So mm -hmm. there's a, a whole uh, part of uh, social interaction with Madame de Pompadour that we only see uh, the implied after effects for. So I think in keeping with Doctor Number 10's character, him falling in love very rapidly with this woman who is completely his equal is, comp is totally understandable. And the other thing I really liked about this episode, uh, as opposed to every other episode, apart from Love and Monsters, which tried to do something different, but you're going to get to that later, is it was like a riddle. The entire episode didn't, oh, yeah. didn't mm -hmm. give away everything straight away. It wasn't just about an alien invasion, or it wasn't an, it was a kind of alien invasion, but uh, it was more of a riddle. Why were those robots there? What were they so interested in Madame de Pompadour? Why 
were these time tunnels set up? How come there was bits and pieces of people inside the spaceship? And it wasn't up until the very final reveal that uh, I got it. And I liked that because the episode was always two steps ahead of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I... Go on. No, sorry, I was, I'm just going to say, I mean, when you mentioned Love and Monsters there, that I I enjoyed the off-kilterness of Girl in the Fireplace more than I did yeah. Love and Monsters, merely yeah. because um, it... Well, it was more, it was better, well, more well Yeah, yeah, you know, was, sort of having horses a... appear on the deck of a spaceship yeah. and having um, <laughs> uh, clockwork dummies dressed up as, uh, I, I suppose, courtesans and and yeah. all that sort of thing. And that that's the sort of off-kilter I like, and that's probably about yeah. as much off-kilter as I can handle in, in a Doctor it's, episode. It's the closest well, I... Doctor Who has ever gotten to being poetry. Wow, that's a big call. That's, well, I'll, I'll leave everyone with that. I'm going to have to... <laughs> to uh, I'm going to have to take off in my own little time-space machine now, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Yes, Chris, thank Thanks, you Chris. so much for being a part Thanks, of, of this. I, I really appreciate you being here and, um, and taking the time out of your day to you know participate here. Anytime. And, and anytime you're doing this again, I'd love to be a part of it. Definitely. Excellent. Definitely. I'll leave you in the capable hands of Triple B. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Chris. Okay, bye-bye. Take care, Chris. I've just let Paul know you're about to conference him in. Yeah, I was just going to comment that I'm going to have Paul come on as soon as Chris... Yeah, uh, I'm trying to on. hang up. Please, someone kick me off. <laughs> it's not All right, doing I'll it. Take care. All right. Take care, Chris. Thanks. I'm, I'm going to hang, hang, hang up. I'm going to hang you up. <laughs> Hello. Oh, hey, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, guys. And hey, Paul, I do apologize profusely. I had no idea that there was a limitation in Skype uh, as far as participants in a conference. Uh, that's all right. I just had a bit of a nap while I waited. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's like 2.13 2 a.m. for you. It, it is. So our listeners know that you're. it's in the middle of the morning for you. <laughs> yes, this is dedication for you, and i got to work in the morning as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, we, well, I do appreciate you being here. Let me introduce you formally. Um, Paul Wilson from the Who Cast is uh, now joining us. Um, Chris Rattray had to yes, leave, yes. and Paul is now. Great applause. <laughs> <laughs> Does, um, Paul, thank you so much once again for being here. Um, we're up to we, we uh, the girl. Listening to the ho- yeah. We're up to the girl uh, in the fireplace. Uh, Ah. We're, we're doing a rundown of the series. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not supposed not to say rundown. that. Not rundown. We're, <laughs> we're not running it down. <laughs> we're, There's Louie's little we're car. We're summarizing the episode. <laughs> take that, take that. And we're not sending. We were it up summarizing either. the episodes of this series, and uh, we did New Earth, Tooth and Claw, uh, School Reunion, and we're just in the middle of the girl in the fireplace. And actually, and... we'll let the girl in the podcast <laughs> review the give us her girl. review. <laughs> Ashley. Okay, this was my favourite episode, excluding Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. I don't know, I just put them mm-hmm. in a little different box all on their own. But, yeah, it was nice to finally see some depth to the Doctor, as I've mentioned previously. I mean, before this, we've always seen him being very jolly, mm-hmm. very affable, or very, very angry and self-righteous. And to see him have this softer side towards someone who's not Rose was just very, very nice to see. And trying to go to all these lengths to get make Madame de Pompadour happy, like when he wanted to take her on a trip in the TARDIS. And 
he jumps through with the horse to save her, and that was just beautiful. But you're still seeing um, you're still seeing this self denial that the doctor seems to have all the way through, that you see in in um, school reunion where he he still doesn't grasp the effect that he has on people. He, no. he, he's he's happy to dump Rose and go and, and leave <laughs> leave Rose and Mickey on on this spaceship to be with this woman and you know doesn't seem and I don't know whether this is his alienness or his inability to to understand what he does to people, but even after in, in school reunion you see, you know, Sarah Jane saying, Look, this is what you did and and, and you left me and you broke my heart and so on and he turns around to her and says, "Well, I showed you all through time and space. What more do you want?" And then he do he does the same, and he does the same in um, in Girl in the Fireplace. You know, he just takes off. It almost seems like that callous. he that he has um, that he's not skilled with the ladies. I mean, he, Chris Eccleston's character says, you know, he jokes about you just assume that I don't dance and all these kind of things, and it's almost an insecure way of saying it. Uh, and throughout the show's 43-year history, I mean, we, we see the Doctor a little, uh, a little flirtation here and there, but, and that's why uh, earlier and, and before Paul came aboard, I said that this is the first time a, a woman came on to him. And I think that's why he falls so hard. Is we've never seen that happen before. And here's this. Are we forgetting the Aztecs? Well, well, I, was, I was just going to mention that. She makes him coffee. She makes him coffee. It's a little bit different. But, you know. Hey, that's all it takes. That's, that's true. Right? What, you win my heart if you make me coffee that's too. That's true. When a woman makes me coffee, I'm very happy. I, I, I do want to make a point. Easy. I know it's, it's, it's that easy. Unfortunately, yes. Chris did make a good point, and unfortunately, he left. But I. Um, you know, where he, before Chris had just stepped off, he had said that this was, because um, I had said it was sort of out, out of character for the Doctor, but, um, you know, then he challenged me saying, out of, you know, which Doctor? And, um, I, you know, in hindsight, now after seeing the whole series and seeing a whole, you know, series with David Tennant and the Tenth Doctor, um, I think I probably would have enjoyed or appreciated this, uh, this story if it was placed maybe later in the se series, um, after you got to know maybe... David's tenants or, or the tenth doctor more and um, you know because in hindsight I can see him maybe being more apt to have stronger feelings right you know when I was originally watching it I, I just felt it was just too quickly too soon but, but, you know if that's the point they were trying like to make. We were, like was mentioned in hindsight I think it, it, it might work better. like mentioned earlier about the parallels with the the cats and dogs in episodes one and two the parallel I think coming on the heels of Sarah Jane, he's almost like I'm not letting this one go now. He's got he has a woman that either he feels or he thinks she is in love with him, uh, and and I think he just he just grabs the opportunity and he just jumps in wholeheartedly and and, and so the doc's burned. on the rebound, is he? He is, and I think he gets burned, and I think that that backs him off a lot too, and I think that leads to Doomsday, where. He says to Rose, "You've got to go." I mean, it's just that simple. Yeah. Well, I think I, I, I think that um, possibly also the, the, the doctor hasn't ever been in a situation where someone has got it inside his head. And I know there's been lots of criticism. You know, the whole Vulcan mind meld thing. But, <laughs> yes, but, I mentioned you know. that right before you got on. <laughs> but still, I mean, I'm okay with that because. Um, there's been a number of times where the Doctor has so shown some sort of psychic ability, 
and but it's it's usually with other time lords or or with himself another but he do, know, he does say he doesn't he doesn't do this very often <laughs> until we get to fear her but we'll, we'll <laughs> wait that we'll wait till later for that but i mean don't, don't get me wrong this is one of my absolute favorite episodes um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not being i'm not being critical of it i'm just uh uh trying to show yeah. that this this has more of an insight into the doctor than just a um a love interest or or showing that mm-hmm. he can be in love it actually shows the the doctor for what he is this alien being that just doesn't seem to be able to comprehend what sort of effect he has on humans or you know even people mm. of the the opposite sex i th- mm. i th- I think, too, to a certain extent, it's a side effect of having these very short 45-minute episodes that you have to get something across, like a very intense, yeah. deep love affair. With, yeah. Within, I mean, the total story time that that's involved with once she grows to be an adult to when um, the end of that is finished with the clockworks being destroyed and then she dies, um, we're probably only looking at 35-minute screen time total and everything else has to go on as well. So during that very, very short period of time, you have to get across this great attraction that these two characters have for each other and, and using the um, <clears throat> Vulcan mind meld I suppose would would be a way to, to speed things up I, th- yeah. I think also the real life relationship between Sophia Miles and David Tennant helps that as well they they clearly have uh, you know um, something else going on there's some great chemistry between them and I, and I believe in, in real life they're you know dating uh, it's probably a tabloid yeah. thing I'm sure someone mm-hmm. will well, they, they are, they are actually, uh, uh, they are actually um, uh, dating or whatever you want, you want to call it, going out together. But I'm not sure whether they met on set or whether they'd met beforehand. Because I think in the confidential, they allude to the fact that um, they always had Sophia Miles in mind for the part, like right from the beginning. And, and by the way, I would also point out uh, Stephen Moffat just hits home runs story after story for me. I mean, I, I've just enjoyed everything he's written for the show. So oh far. yeah. Well, I did want to make a point about Stephen Moffat before. I think Chris, if I'm not mistaken, was saying that he enjoyed not knowing that the episode was a step ahead of him, that it was a whole mystery involved and you didn't know what was going to come next. And I think that's a tribute to Stephen Moffat because I felt that same way when the first time I saw um, Empty The Empty Child, where um, the episode before that I felt was you know very predictable. And it wasn't bad, but I, I knew exactly what was, I think it was Father's Day, um, you know, what had to come to be. And um, But here I had no idea where it was going in Empty Child. And, and once again, in The Girl in the Fireplace, uh, you had all these elements and you were trying to piece it together, but you couldn't. And, and, and the real payoff was at the end of the episode. So I think that's a good tribute to uh, Stephen Moffat's writing. Yeah. I also, yeah. um, I'm, I'm sorry, Ashley, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm glad I didn't see this episode as a young child because I would have found the clockwork alien creations pretty terrifying. They yeah, actually I, found did, them, but I found them creepy now. They are creepy. With that with the, with the sound effects, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that worked They're well. They're quite they, menacing. They, they actually freaked me out when I, um, when I actually did watch the episode. I was sitting there with uh, four or five other people. We had a... Um, a get together and um, and the the ticking and it was quite a surreal moment because um, the sun was sort of going down and um, <laughs> and we had this sort of red stream of light coming through the building <laughs> and I had these other people around we were all sort of mesmerised by the television set and the 
and the ticking and it really did freak me out. I would have found it extremely creepy um, as a child. I, I, I yeah. only wish their weapons were more threatening. It just it was like these little plastic or little things. I just thought the weapons I wish were more scary. No, <laughs> no, but remember these uh, things on those creatures aren't meant to be weapons. They're meant to be repair modules, I suppose, because they are repair mm. robots. So what what we're seeing there is stuff that I don't know cuts cables or something like that, not meant to. Uh, kill someone so mm-hmm. they they don't necessarily have weapons there and they just don't adapting. know their weapons no they don't no, yeah. and, no they, and, see, so, they see the humans as uh, spare parts don't they yeah i really uh two two notes on this episode that really went over the top uh for me which just made it the best the production design was spectacular uh, in the costuming and the sets and everything that they, you know, and, and contrasting from way off in the future to, to historical uh, France. And yeah, we talked about Murray Gold. To me, this was, this, the music in this episode was just the, uh, the sounds and the, it really painted a picture. It really helped create the atmosphere more so than any other episode this season. And I enjoyed other music that he did, but, I, but this episode in particular, uh, the atmosphere the the music really sold me on on the whole the whole vibe of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I during the story I didn't notice the music at all, and to me that uh, all, all I noticed was the mood. And to me that is mm. a sign of fantastic yeah. music. You know, yeah. when you when you don't notice yeah. it, you just notice the mood. Yeah. The the, the other thing. The... As, as far as looking back on a story, that uh, that I my criteria long term for rating an episode is how often I rewatch the story, and this is one of the ones that I rewatch the most from this season, uh, and I'll reveal the the other ones as we go along. This is this is probably I, I think this is the one I've watched the most this season, and that's how I know it's my favorite. Mm-hmm. But now we're on to. I'm just oh, going to. I'm going to have to bid farewell here. Oh no! I have to get ready for work. I'm afraid. Well, who's your boss? <laughs> we'll call him. <laughs> I am the boss. <laughs> okay. Well, well actually, please. <laughs> no, I will right, let you go. Thank you so much for this. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay. Yeah, the pleasure's all ours. Thanks so, for joining uh, us, Ashley. No yes. problem. I'm just sorry I have to leave. Well, um, hopefully we'll have you back soon, and um, maybe um, since both you and Chris had to leave early, um, and I'll maybe email you later, if you guys can just um, maybe do a summary of how you felt about the whole series as a whole, and we'll um, include that in a future episode. Love to. If you two want to record that. Okay, then. All right, thanks again. All thanks, right. Ashley. Take care. Hey, Ashley. Bye-bye. 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 Now we can get down to the blokey stuff. <laughs> no, we just got to get rid of that other Australian. <laughs> you can't trust it, him. It was a very well, Paul. Your your roots in Australia as well. It's a it's a very Australian heavy episode. It yeah. is me. I'm I'm English. My my passport says I'm British. Traitor. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> so we're on to which episode now, Lewis? We're off to. Uh, uh, I think we were about to leap into. Are we doing the Rise. Rise. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, Rise of the Cybermen, uh, it's basically we're in an alternative Earth. We're reinventing the Cybermen or the, the you know, the, the creation of the Cybermen. And um, we, I mean, this was a special episode for us at Podshock only because we've had, uh, you know, we, we, we had a friendship that came out of this with, um, with Jules Burt as one of the um, extras, you know, he, well, he was a more. Of a, he started. He'll argue that it's not an extra role. He started as the photographer. And a modern, yeah, he he started as the photographer. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it was it was really good for us because we got you know a lot of the behind the scenes stuff back when they were actually shooting the episode to actually you know then see this all come to fruition and um, you know fruition whatever fruition <laughs> materialized in the episode. So. Um, so we were sort of looking forward to that, and um, though I, I guess what what we can do is with this episode is um, because it does tie right into Age of Steel. Um, I'll I'll leave it up to everyone how you want to you know recap this episode by itself or in conjunction with Age of Steel. Well, if we're uh, going to talk it, about all four together, then I'll I'll first say that. Um... I'm going to be moving for a Graham Harper monument to be erected. I, I think that man <laughs> needs to have every award possible given to him. I, I think that Graham Harper is responsible for four episodes of probably the finest Doctor Who ever made, certainly the four episodes of the finest Doctor Who from the last two years ever made. Um, I think he brings together... Um, a wonderful sense of what the old series used to be like with the um, characterizations, mm -hmm. the way Mickey's presented, the way uh, the Doctor is used, the way Rose is used, the way the secondary characters are meshed seamlessly into the story. Um, he juggles two universes worth of people together um, over the space of those four stories. And um, I'm always one that strongly believes that a director above all, even above the writer, is one that has the strongest influence on the way an episode ends up. Um, and and I think the four episodes with the Cybermen, uh, <laughs> their success is in no small part due to Graham. I absolutely, yes. absolutely agree with you there. Um, and without sounding like I'm going to name drop here, but uh, I was speaking with... I was fortunate enough to be able to speak to... Um, uh, Andrew Hayden Smith, is it? Uh, who played Jake? Um, mm -hmm. Who I liked. And, yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, and uh, he he was saying that because they actually filmed that in one great big block, and uh, he was saying that um, the 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 direction was really what made it for him. You know, the they couldn't see it on well, he couldn't see it on set how it was all going to fit together because because it was kind of disjointed to him. Mm. But uh, when um, but the way it was done, and, and when you actually saw it all fit together, and you saw um, the four episodes, uh, you could see them living as individual blocks. So you could see each individual story, but you could see the the wide story arc, this massive story arc, which became a, you know, this great big four part story. And uh, yeah, you know, and I and I've yeah. just heard that the uh, that the Pope has actually put. Put uh, Mr. Harper forward for uh, a sainthood when he dies. Uh, not a moment too soon. Not a moment too soon. He he needs churches built in his honour. For sainthood, the man's brilliant. I mean, he, I mean, he's he's responsible for you know so you know probably some of the most 
best remembered stories from the original series. I mean, probably Kay's Vandrazani is regarded as one of the top five stories of all time. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a masterstroke and fantastic that they've been actually able to get Graham involved with this year. And I hope he's back next year. I really do. But what's, mm-hmm. a, what's amazing about his involvement is that uh, he's not only a returning director from the old series, but is in charge of the most epic Doctor Who story of all time. I mean, yep. yeah, things like The War Games, The Trial of a Time Lord may have been longer, but this was, when you think about scope and budget and everything they pulled off and the amount of universes and all that kind of stuff, the largest Doctor Who story ever made. Yeah. And, and it's in to- totally in his charge. Although yeah. we are looking yeah. at sort of you know sort of different beasts these days. I mean, the way television is these days that we're all very used to um, season-long arcs and uh, stories that continue on in multiple episodes, which is something the original series never really did. Um, you know, they're always very much self-contained stories. But it's just the yeah. way TV is these days that Doctor Who, I think, had to go that way, that we had to have stories like our... Um, uh, four-part Cyberman one, which had stuff start in the middle and finish at the end and have all these little threads running across the whole season. And we, what, we, sorry, go You were saying, uh, you know, it was, it was our call to, to re, you know, review it how we will with, with the, the, two, the one, the two, or the four yeah. parts. Um, I think that this story greatly benefits from seeing the last two parts. Uh, when I originally reviewed... Rise of the Cybermen uh, and the Age of Steel. I, I like the story, and, and I guess because we didn't see the full picture, it was tough to, you know, you kind of judge it. Okay, well, we went to an alternate universe, and we did this, and we did that. Um, the Cybermen did this. But then you, you see the whole thing. You want to go back and watch all four parts. Uh, it benefits from having the, the last two stories really that heavily involved in these two stories. Mm-hmm. I don't think you realize it on on first viewing how much of the finale is hinged on these two stories. I'll absolutely agree. I think I think Trevor yeah. Trevor and I were actually speaking about this. Um, I I and a lot of people got caught up in the whole fanboy thing of oh no you know this is this is not how how Cybermen is supposed to be and I, I was somewhat disappointed because I'd heard that this story was based on spare parts which is one of my absolute favorite. Um, big finish stories mm-hmm. and then what I got was something totally different to what I was expecting when I saw um, uh, Rise of the Cybermen you know I saw this this episode and at first I couldn't see past the fact that we had 95% of the episode nothing to do with Cybermen <laughs> and, and you know and, and then I but I knew there was a second part coming so I was I was trying to sort of hold off on that and even then, when I saw um, uh, Age of Steel, I was still slightly let down. I just felt, you know, I, I felt it was was kind of lacking, and um, where I really wanted to sort of give give both stories top marks, I, I just couldn't do it. And then, you know, you get you get to the very end of the season, and you end up with these these last two episodes and it all just comes together the whole thing all just falls into place and it was i think it was just a lovely lovely way that that uh the whole team brought the whole uh story out together and as i think too even with the um first episode rise of the cybermen I, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I mean, I know what you're saying, Paul, that you were probably slightly disappointed that there wasn't much yeah. Cybermen in it. But if, if it was done any other way, 
then you wouldn't have that fantastic full final reveal of the Cybermen bursting through that glass window at the end of the episode. I mean, if you had them all from the beginning, I don't think that uh, amazing shot would have the same impact anymore because all all through that episode you'd been seeing, you know, bits of this and bits of that, you know, blurred out Cybermen in the distance and stuff like that. And then to finally see one in the flesh, I suppose you could call it, in full for the first time bursting through that window was fantastic. I absolutely agree with you, Trevor. Uh, But, you know, in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. But at the time, I was so blinkered by what I thought was going to happen mm. and, and what actually happened and you know i guess that's yeah that's that's part of being a, you know a, a fanboy and so forth i do see where you're coming from paul i'm i mean i can understand why you would have felt that um i enjoyed the second part a little more than the first in that mm-hmm. I, I i liked some of the some classic elements revisited in the battersea power station and, and some of the things uh, uh Little the imagery, some of the things they were pulling off, I, I I enjoyed more the second part. Again, the first part is primarily the setup, so uh, you know it's it's the first yeah. course of a of a bigger meal, um, and sometimes it can it, it can easily be uh, um, left behind once you get to the the, the, the main crux of the story. Uh, but still, bo- overall, the the story was excellent. A classic Doctor Who adventure story, straightforward, bad guys. Mm defined, romping action all over the place, interesting characters, um, a chance for, for different people to shine and, and you know a lot of a lot of Doctor Who uh, this season and last are about certain moments. You build up to certain moments and, and this story had those moments. Um, and, and leading into uh, Army of Ghosts and Doomsday, uh, you're setting up even early on, Pete Tyler's reunion with with his wife in the yeah. real universe. Yeah. I mean, there's so much getting set up early on. So it, it makes me wonder if if someone had came into the this this series, um, you know, without seeing these two episodes, and and then goes into Army Ghost and Doomsday, it's probably will have less of an impact or less meaning, perhaps, if they didn't see this because it it is so much yeah. of a setup. Yeah, I think you would miss out on a few of the little nuances. I mean, especially the stuff with mm-hmm. Pete and uh, Rose's mum. Yeah. I think people watching the last few just wouldn't understand that meeting in the corridor at all. Um, yeah. But it's Even, it's the, it's there for people who've seen that the initial setup from you know sort of halfway through the season. Even Russell Even, did it in the commentary that you know he didn't do enough of a recap in Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. He just kind of assumed in the writing that you had seen the earlier episodes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, part of that is uh, there's so much to tell that it would have been time-consuming to go back and recap when there's a good chance the majority of the audience knew what the hell was going on. Especially when a season's only got 13 episodes in it. I mean, you, I mean, there's right. limits mm-hmm. to how much you should have to recap. I agree 100%. Yeah. Uh, but even in the, yeah. even in the, in the opening... The, the pre-title sequence opening, they didn't do any recapping. No, mm-hmm. that's right. Uh, where, where, where in the first series, they did. Uh, if there was something that would be relevant to a later episode, they might even go back six episodes and, and flash back to something. That well, it would give away who the ghosts were or, or, or give away that... I mean, I guess we all knew that Cybermen were going to be an army of ghosts, but um, we didn't know about the Daleks at the time. No, but, you know a recap wouldn't have showed Dallas. But. Now going into the you know into the next episode, um, 
which would be the idiot's lantern. Uh, again, I think before, this... Ken, before before we go in there, I just want got one more comment. And for me, finally, they actually got the cliffhanger right. In 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 all four episodes, well, in the the two two uh, banks of two two uh, episodes. I think they've got the best cliffhangers that they've had in the two series. Series For the very first time, I was actually mm-hmm. sitting there going, come on, you can't stop the, <laughs> the episode like that. <laughs> what's going on? you gotta, you got to make me wait a whole week to find out what's going on? The very first time, yes. I think they got that right. Anyway, sorry. It literally left you on the edge of your seat. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what Doctor Who should be. I mean, Do- Doctor Who should be about biting your nails for the next week, waiting for the next part. I, I think that's what a lot of people miss out these days. Mm-hmm. when they just just buy the DVDs or they just watch like a whole load of downloaded episodes in a row that a lot of people are missing out on the whole concept of uh, cliffhangers, which we resolve one week later. And, I think one, um, of the, one of the criticisms of the new show was that it was going to be these 45-minute long episodes and that the cliffhangers were such a big part of the idea of, the, of Doctor Who being a serial was such a big part of its mm. identity. They they found a way to incorporate both. Yes. Occasionally, they do it. It's a real cliffhanger, and and part of the criticism of the old show was sometimes they wrote something in just to make a cliffhanger. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I I I think the whole concept of a forty-five minute episodes works really well for the most part. Um, in some cases, I think the episodes could have been longer. I think Girl in the Fireplace could have been twice as long quite easily, um, just just to flesh out that relationship. But then I think New Earth had too much in it that um, I think it could have been half an hour and you would have got it across in the you know, sort of same sort of impact. So, um, But then using two 45-minute episodes together like they have with the uh, Cyberman stories this year have, have worked really, really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know I, I agree, in the, and they re, this season more so than last, they've really uh, done right by the cliffhanger. You know, they, they, they're genuine. I, mean, I do believe that Empty Child had a, a great cliffhanger as well. I, I love that one. Yeah, well, yeah that, the, that's that's my favorite cl- cl- uh, cliffhanger yeah. from last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. was was spectacular, and then jumping ahead a little to to Impossible Planet, just just a wonderful cliffhanger. Just you know. Everything a cliffhanger in Doctor Who is expected to be was was this season. Yes. I'm moving forward. Well, to it- moving to, yeah, the Idiot's Lantern, um, where this is um, once again um, Mark Gaddis written this, wrote the story, and um, similar to um, 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 last last season's episode. Um, Empty Child. Um, uh, no, no, no. Unquiet Dead. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm, unquiet Dead. Unquiet Dead. I mean, not Empty Child yet. Yes. Um, in, similar, in a similar fashion, we're dealing with a a, uh, a alien or entity that's not um, in a physical sense here. They were gaseous creatures, the Gelf back then, and here we're dealing with um, something that was, uh, was it electric? Yeah. It was. The uh, wire. The wire. The wire. So uses um, electricity or something like that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, for me, the, I, I think really the, um, the 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 layer of interest for me was the exploration of the fifties and the mindset and and the hypocrisy of that um, more so than the villain and all that. I mean, it was I thought um, the the villain and, and I'm forgetting her name right now. Um, the actress did a great job Maureen, playing the Maureen warrior. Maureen Stapleton was it? Was, was no, Stapleton? Um, no. 
Um, Maureen Lippman. Maureen Lippman. Yes. I, I think she did a wonderful job, especially since she had to do her stuff isolated, you know, ahead of time, not playing off the other actors and actri actresses. So um, I thought Rose did a, uh, a, a good job as far as sort of here you see her investigating for like the, well, not for the first time, but really playing, going solo without the doctor and kind of investigating. Uh, I, I kind of like the direction and, and the camera sh shots and the compositions. Um, that was done very well. What kind of, even though I understood what they were trying to go for, but the whole thing about removing the faces and then them mysteriously coming back and it was, we were getting, this was like the first inkling of going into Scooby-Hoo territory with the cartoon science and to me it was hard to swallow though I understood the metaphor and artistically I, I understood it it just I just wish it worked better you sort of going back to the empty child and uh, doctor dances with the masks that you know had a, a plausible explanation why these masks were growing out of these people and all that you could you could buy it here with the the, the removal of the faces and for and when the wire was then recorded into Betamax and they all came back mysteriously without even being next to a TV it just I don't know it was it was kind of hard to buy but um, but I, what I enjoyed was the the exploration of the 50s and and kind of breaking that romanticism of the 50s and um, and, and getting into like you know that there was a lot of um, it, it, it wasn't all just roses back then it was you know the, the, there was a lot of stuff that that's that that isn't thought of when when we reflect back to the past i found this episode quite weak um uh, I, when i'd seen it i'd actually been traveling all day we, we'd had a uh, sort of long weekend here in in the uk and and i've been traveling all day back from a place that we were staying and i got home and i watched it and I put it down to being tired that I didn't enjoy it. So I watched it again and I still didn't enjoy it. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't one that sticks out in my mind. And when I think back over the season, I continually forget um, Idiot's Lantern because it, to me it was almost a forgettable episode. It's one of the three episodes of this, ep of this season that I'm not really going to probably watch again, to be honest. It's just in a really bad spot, I think, because I mean it's between two two-parters, which which yeah. are the, which 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 are some of the highlights of the season. So it's easy to forget that it's there, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, like I don't have much to say about it, to be honest. I didn't really. I, I enjoyed it. I I liked the period, and I think it, for David Tennant, um, you know, he kind of his whole vibe is the rockabilly doctor thing, and I think this was a chance for him to to romp a little bit, um, and I think. Mark Gaddis, as a you know, as a uh, a writer, or actually just as a as a figure in Doctor Who, you know, with some of the things he's done comedically, and he's done some acting, and he's done some writing. Uh, I'm just glad to have him. You know, someone like him and Russell T Davies, and some of the people that are involved in the show. I, I do agree that I think it just suffers from being sandwiched between some epic stories that it kind of gets brushed aside of a look. I, yeah. I don't think it's the best story by far i think um but i i also i don't have the strong dislike of it that i have on a couple other stories mm -hmm. I, I don't I... strongly dislike it i just yeah yeah it i didn't meet up to your expectations uh, i quite enjoyed it actually it. um 
I suppose I'll be different to you all and say that I quite enjoyed the episode. I thought The Wire was a fantastic villain. Um, I thought Maureen did a fantastic job to realise um, oh, the yeah. menace when, when she's basically trapped inside a television set there and you only see her from the shoulders up for the entire story. Um, I thought the whole uh, realisation of 1950s England seemed to work pretty well. I mean, it seemed to look like mm-hmm. 1950s England. Um, the I, I, I wasn't right. Yeah, um, but I wasn't that big a fan of the uh, of the uh, of the uh, Connolly household. Um, they seemed to delve into cliche a bit too much, especially with the father. Um, so I wasn't particularly thrilled with that. I, I didn't see a lot of point to the whole uh, father son antagonism and you know sort of leaving home and stuff like that. That that seemed to detract to, uh, from the story for me. Um, I, I thought Ron Cook as Magpie was fantastic. I've always enjoyed the stuff he's oh, yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and uh, I thought the, I thought the resolution was fantastic. I, I loved the whole thing with the you know you know recording the villain on Betamax and him having to climb the tower and you know lash this thing together from bits and bobs out of his TARDIS. I mean that's my Doctor. That's that's the Doctor that I grew up with. That he you know, would sit in a workshop or sit in his TARDIS and, you know, come up with this thing that he built out of, you know, rubber bands and wire and, you know, go off and defeat the villain. Um, that, to me, showed a really strong link back to the original series that we have a Doctor again that's improvising very much so in this story to uh, defeat the wire. So um, while, while I will agree with you to a certain extent that it's not an excellent episode, I don't think it's particularly weak. Um, it, it just has that problem sort of being stuck between two two-parters. But it's, it's, it's a nice little breather be, between the two. I mean, it's nothing spectacular or fantastic, but it's a nice, solid little story for me anyway. So, uh, there, uh, One of the things that I think, just sort of thinking about it, listening to you talk, one of the things that kind of bothered me about it, and I may be just sort of blowing this out of proportion, is it, it highlighted to me how little the doctor does with rose around you know we have the doctor who's supposed to be you know the smartest guy in the universe and he doesn't seem to be able to work anything out rose rose on the other hand uh, works out in in a matter of minutes where the problem's coming from and how to get there the the doctor's bumbling around not being able to work anything out And, and this has happened a couple of times and that kind of wound me up a little bit about you know this show's called doctor who it's not called rose and anyway mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things, yeah. painting a picture of the 50s sensibility um, and, and going back to, you know, like Russell T. Davies and, and his creation of, of Queer as Folk, uh, there's a line in there about the, with the ant and with the whole, you know, a, a proper little mama's boy or whatever. And the, the older ant says, oh, you're going to have to beat that out of him. I mean, that's just by the use of dialogue painting the picture of, 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 the, of the sensibilities of the time and, and how things have changed. Mm. Mm-hmm. One, one thing, Trevor, you, you might remember. Do you remember uh, the Sullivans? The, the Sullivans was an Australian um, uh, soap opera, I guess you'd call it. Those sort of set in the same era, um, sort of post-war Australia, though. But to me, um, uh, this episode had a real feel to that. Uh, that had the same sort of feel to it, and I guess I hated that that, that soap opera, and uh, maybe that caused me to dislike this episode even more so i don't mm-hmm. know yeah I, I again it's it's not 
it's it's not one of my favorites, but I didn't dislike it either. I I, I enjoyed it. I um, I, I, my only problem was really with if they was more a plausibility factor with the whole faces thing. I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But otherwise, um, it it was an enjoyable episode. But it's as we had already said, it's it's sandwiched between two um, epic two-parters, and it's sometimes it's overlooked for that respect. So if we move along, since time is <laughs> time is rushing past us, um, we're gonna get into the Impossible Planet and Satan, the Satan Pit. And we'll um, two of them together as well, being that it is really one. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So finally, finally, we're off. We're off Earth. Yay! <laughs> we're still dealing with Earth people, but we made a step. <laughs> I can, I can we're, deal, we're off the bloody planet. I can deal with this still having uh, Earth people because, you know, uh, it, that, that was a common theme in, in the classic series. You know, you, you still had a lot of Earth people kicking about. But, yeah. you know, it was nice to be away from Earth for once. Well, and and well, I, I remember re reading very, very early on when um, they announced that they were redoing Doctor Who. We were reading an interview with Russell T. Davies, and they were talking about this. And RTD at the time said that he was very much against having lots of uh, outer space adventures in the first couple of mm. seasons because he thought that it would alienate new viewers. So this may be an introduction into what hopefully next season will have more and more off-world. I hope so. Let's hope. Yes. Yeah. You know, and 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 as I said, in in Pachak in the past was that we still can relate to other races and other peoples and other planets. And I, I use the reference of Star Wars here. You know, back in 1977, it it didn't stop audiences from going to see the movie over and over again, even though it wasn't on Earth and it had no Earth people in it. it we still could, you know, relate to the humanity um, that's in the story. And I, I think the same thing applies here and and, um, and and any story that Doctor Who wants to do, it doesn't necessarily always have to be grounded on Earth for us to relate to. And any story Doctor, Doctor Who had done in the past, there, you know, there were hundreds of episodes where uh, the Doctor was on another planet and there were human beings and that human beings were put in peril or, you know, in a dramatic situation that required resolution. And, and I think, the, you know, you either cared about the characters or you didn't. Mm, absolutely, I, I think it was fantastic. I think they both they were both fantastic episodes. Um, until we get to the sort of penultimate and the the finale, these two were my favourite um, episodes of the entire two seasons. Um, again, they got the cliffhanger right. Again, they got the the pacing of the story absolutely spot on. They didn't they didn't spend episode the first episode um, the Impossible Planet. Um, the Impossible Planet could stand up almost on its own as as an episode. They didn't use it um, in quite the same way that they'd used um, Rise of the Cybermen as a complete setup. Um, so I think they got the pacing right. Um, as I said, the cliffhanger I thought was superb, and the Satan Pit was just absolutely fantastic. Um, and and the resolution to it all. Um, didn't feel, although it was quite a quick resolution, it felt very elegant to me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. you know, and and the the way they, they did things I thought was, was very nice. Like right in the end where you see Rose, where she she could quite have easily just shot, the you know, Toby. 
But because this is Doctor Who, you don't shoot Toby. You, you shoot through the window and blow him out. The, the, mm. that, that's okay to have him suffocate. But, you know, if you put a bullet in his brain, you can't do that. And I thought that was quite nice. A quite, quite a nice nod to the actual way that Doctor Who works, if that makes sense as well. Yeah, I, I guess if he did, shoot, if she did shoot Toby, then who's to stop the 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 beast from migrating to another person, you know, on board the ship? And you know, so I guess blowing out the windshield was like sacrificing everyone for the sake of you know, getting rid of this entity. Yeah. And also, according to Doctor Who rules, if you don't see someone die, then they're not dead. <laughs> <laughs> so the you know they've left that wide open for uh, well, the beast to come back, and even if you do see them die, doesn't in, in the case of Cassandra doesn't mean they're actually dead either. Oh, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> I was glad to see the Ood, um, you know, as opposed to what their original intent was going to reintroduce um, the Slovene race. The, oh, don't ask me to pronounce their race. Thank God and, for that. <laughs> so I was glad that they that the Ood were introduced, and um, I think they worked well in this story. Uh, I also was pleased to see uh, Gabriel Wolf back um, doing the voice of the Beast, and after his uh, well-known he's well known for his Sutek voice. And um, is that man typecast yeah, or what? Yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, Poor I, back, I, I actually went back and watched um, uh, Pyramids of Mars recently. Uh, because it's just been released over here, and mm -hmm. um, just just comparing Sutek as as a as a creature or a you know a, a monster or a villain, comparing that to the Beast and the similarities. I mean, I, I didn't realize because I was going from memory with the Pyramids of Mars, and I'd only seen that as a, a you know sort of a, a kid, and then just going back and watching it, he was you know as evil I think as the Beast. Mm -hmm. You know. The, well, Ken had made a mention that there's a scene where he rattles off different names that he's known by, and Ken was waiting to hear Sutek, you know, as one of the names. Mm. Maybe a missed opportunity there. Yeah, definitely yeah. opportunity, um, especially in in light of using Gabriel Wolf. You know, it would have been nice. Mm. Yeah, but I think they probably deliberately steered clear of that so people wouldn't think that the Beast and Sutek were the same. Right, or that, that this was some kind a of sequel. continuation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. This, this to me, this story was as perfect as they get on Doctor Who. I mean, the scope was there, and the characters were there, and the setting, and the music, and the cliffhanger, and e everything about it, really, to me, was the ood, which is great. I mean, uh, just a great Doctor Who monster. You know, uh, the setup early on, thinking they're the bad guys, and then they're you know, these, just these poor slaves, and then they're the bad guys again, but they're really just poor slaves. And, uh, mm -hmm. I do... Have you know I have little minor faults with the story? You know I I thought the the, the uh, air duct scene was a little too aliens and a few things like that, but but it never detracted from the story for me. I just thought the and and I agree that the first story could easily stand on its own. Um, mm -hmm. It's just it, you know you can watch that part and if you shut it off, um, you know you still felt. A sense of completion and you do obviously want to see the, the rest of the story but you could shut it off and and not be like well you know oh well i wonder what the next one's like you, you know it's just it stands up as just being a great episode that just happens to end on a cliffhanger mm -hmm. uh, uh, what, the, the, 
two back to back are very cinematic and um once again you know sort of like rise of rise of the um cyber moon and age of steel um you put them both together and you, you have a movie and i i felt the same way here with the impossible planet and satan pit that um they if you were to stitch them together you you, you definitely works well as a movie as well it's definitely uh, this cinematic. is yeah yeah i i have to say this is like probably this is the my favorite of of the series is is these two stories actually speak, speaking of movies and i don't want to start any rumors here or anything and it could just be that um it, it, was, it was some sort of advert for for the dvds of doctor who but um i was roped into going to see pirates of the caribbean boring man's chest or whatever it's called um <laughs> uh, on the weekend and between two trailers or you heard in the background the grinding noise of the tardis and what else that's, that's all it? you hear you just hear the grinding noise of the tardis it went from one trailer and then it sort of went black and then you just hear the grinding noise of the tardis and then it went on to another trailer perhaps the projectionist is a doctor who fan perhaps <laughs> who knows Anyway, I thought I might just drop that in. Hmm, that's interesting. Hmm. I will pretty much agree with all you've said. I thought this uh, two-part story was um, really, really solid. If I had anything that I didn't like about it, I didn't like Rose in this story, um, especially the first part. All that stuff about getting a mortgage together, I thought, um, was, was awful. Um, she was very, very clingy in this story. So she was clingy all, all the way through the series, though, Trevor. I really... Oh yeah, true, true. Yeah, I, I, it, it just, it's particularly jarred for me in this two-parter. You know, mm. sort of sitting there at that table at the beginning when they go into the base, and you know, she's doing everything other than roll her googly eyes at him, and uh, you know, talking about moving in together and getting a mortgage and stuff like that, and then all that stuff later with them talking on the radio down the pit and whatever. Um, oh yeah. It, it, it it just really stood out for me, and it's something I don't particularly like. Um, I think it's because maybe they felt that the audience needed it to be really spelled out to them that these two have a deep connection. But um, I suppose for those in who are a bit more, I suppose, intelligent viewers, they don't need it uh, spelled out, you know, sort of quite as obviously. Mm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't really like that 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 mortgage. So I think the first time I saw it, I actually thought I saw a look of absolute panic in the doctor's eyes when she said that. And mm. but maybe that was wishful think thinking, because when I've gone back to watch it, I haven't seen that same effect in his eyes. Um, I thought that would have been a nice touch if he had been, <laughs> you know, panicked by the idea and, uh, you know, scuttled. I, I, I will actually go one further and say that while there's no animosity between the two, I don't think the love is particularly two-sided between the two of them. I think the Doctor, because he's, you know, 900 or 1,000 years old now, he, he mm -hmm. looks at the antics of Rose sometimes with a sort of a quiet amusement. And, yeah, and, I agree. And I don't think a lot of the stuff Rose says, he re reciprocates it. Or sure, they're very good friends, they share a deep bond, mm -hmm. but Rose, I think, thinks it's more than it really is. And I think... The audience and the, the 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 fans of the show think there's more there than there really is. That um, that they're traveling well, companions. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. That's why going back to New Earth, when um, she made a reference, you know, when they 
they spoke about the end of the world and and um, that episode and um, you know the 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 plat I forget the name of the station it was a platform one, whatever. Yeah. It, it, yeah. They said, oh, she says, oh, that was our first date. And I was expecting the doctor to kind of like quickly correct her, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, but he didn't. So I thought, um, yeah, but I, I agree with you. I, I don't think I think a lot of it is not a two. I think it's very one sided on Rose's part, mm-hmm. you know, what she's feeling. Yeah. You know? Not to say that I, he doesn't feel a strong connection to her, but I think it's not to the same level that Rose feels. Right. Yeah, definitely. With you, I, I, in that I always thought that Rose made more of the relationship than the Doctor did. Um, I don't think the, I don't think the Doctor's capable of of being able to show that that sort of uh, love that that Rose needed and craved, um, and, and probably had for the Doctor. It's illustrated so well in a couple of opportunities where the Doctor had the chance to to say I love you and he didn't do it, and in in um, in the Satan Pit, when he's saying to, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've forgotten the name, the the woman that's there. Yeah, I you know, know. I know who you're talking when, about. When when you speak to Rose, tell her, you know, and, and he doesn't he doesn't go follow through with it because I don't think he's yeah, capable. Yeah, she, oh, she knows anyway. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah skipping all the way ahead to Doomsday, where the same thing happens. We, you know, absolutely, we, it's always cut off. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he was just going to say, I left the laundry in in, <laughs> in some place or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the, I think my favorite, my favorite part of um, both those stories, though, is when he finds the TARDIS again, and we all know it's coming. We know that he's yeah. going to find the TARDIS, you know, you know. But but still, just the way that that he does it, you know, and he's sort of running and sort of runs into it and looks at it, and the look of glee and excitement on his face, like a little boy. Oh, I found my favorite toy. You know, mm. you know he, he's found his home. He's you know he's found his TARDIS again, and everything's going to be all right. I, I just thought it was a really wonderful moment. And Murray Gold's music there just swells with excitement. You know, it's yeah. like it's oh perfect. yeah, yeah. The pacing and the excitement isn't captured in his music. And, and, and we set this when we reviewed it. There was lots of homages to Alien and Aliens and the Black Hole and Outland. Outland, thank you. That's what I was thinking. So, um, and and then even there were some sound cues from um, um, Doom. What was that? Doom. Doom. Yeah. Yes. Or Quake. Or... So we're gonna go from here, <laughs> from a very high. Well, <laughs> I know there'll be those that will argue against me. To, you won't get uh, any argument out of me. I can tell you. <laughs> to the, to the very to the to the very low of um, Love and Monsters, and I. I I, I, what, what I, I'm, is, I'm speechless. What, 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 what is this love and monsters you speak of? I don't know. I, had, I have no idea. It, it was something pretending to be a Doctor Who episode, and I don't know why they stuck it in there. Oh, that it was, was really uh, something else. That was that, that had. That was that episode where we didn't have had Doctor a cameo Who. with it. Yeah. yeah, it must be the, the part of my memory that's a... blanked out. I think. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I was I was speaking with uh, Sean Huxter uh, today. And we were talking mm-hmm. about because he actually loved loved love and monsters, and he get a lot of people do and, a lot it's, it, as mm, much as it surprises me and amazes me a lot of people. And 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 to be honest, this episode is the one that I have thought about more than any other, even though I I can't stand it. And, because you um, can find new ways to lay into it and have a go at it. It's fantastic. Every day you can think <laughs> of something that's crap about it. It's really really good. You know, do you know what my problem is? Every day that I think about it, I think of better ways. I think I try to think of ways of justifying it. And my latest 
is that um you know the whole the whole theme and it's all based on the whole thing there that it happens in in elton's mind you know i i'm, I'm quite happy to accept all that and mm-hmm. um but but i've even gone so far now is there's and it, it all revolves around the scene where you see um, Elton's mother walking off into the distance. Now, what I think is, none of this hap- ever happened. The doctor was never there. Not even when he was a child, the doctor was never there. What actually happened was Elton was abandoned by his mother. So he's had to build up some crazy um, uh, fantasy to justify it to himself. And in actual fact... Elton is just a Doctor Who fanboy who watches Doctor Who. So to justify the fact that he was abandoned by his mother, he's incorporated the Doctor into his real life. That's the only way I can can justify it as a story. (laughs) Well, you know, the whole... A lot of people have, you know, expressed to me that that it all takes place in Elton's mind. um, But I argued, well, there's a webcam there and we still see bits and pieces through the webcam and how can that be through his mind and it just had this whole cartoon believability it, <laughs> it, i suppose you know, more, I, I, I suppose more correctly we're not it's it's not all in his mind but we're seeing elton's interpretation of events well everything I, I that we see is, it, is is him describing and then it's it's like elton sat down with the director and went this is the way they want the episode to look this is what happens then and then the director goes mm. away with just his words and says okay we have to film this um and a lot of what you see i assume will then make uh will then form part of elton's video which he's doing that webcam thing for so while it's probably not all a fantasy world it's it's just his skew if interpretation of events probably to make him just look a little bit better uh i just think i just think the guy's nuts and oh know, yeah that too says, yeah that too i i, I um, just can't accept it as a <coughs> episode i'm, I'm I, yeah. I really don't I, like I mean, it maybe him going to have an appointment with a doctor and and having some sort of consultation somehow to make it more clear that that's like what we're seeing is through his eyes would have worked well but we had um one of our uh regulars on when we reviewed this joe he had said that you know what probably would have been better at the end if the talking slab if uh, i'm giving it away but i don't doesn't matter i don't think this slab does thing. much talking to be honest yes oh, well, trevor. <laughs> there's a thing called a line trevor and you Her just mouth is walks, you, know, you, you jump straight over that my friend <laughs> But if the slab was real to be just a slab, like if the camera pulled away and you just saw him talking to like a, a, a just a, a tile of concrete and and was nothing more than that, it, it would have worked better as an ending. Well, and and I believe someone had maybe done something like that on the internet and put it on um, on YouTube. Uh, there is YouTube. Yeah. I, I didn't see it, but yeah, there is, there is an yeah. edit on YouTube. Um, I, I did see it once. I don't know if it's still there. But actually, um, going back to my conversation with Sean and. Um, Sean Huxter really sort of sat down and analysed this episode and, he's, and he was saying that the, there is a subtle difference between um, what you actually see when, when it's Elton on his um, camcorder or whatever, his, his webcam, and when you see the actual slab. And he actually believes that what you're seeing when, when you go to the slab is not from the webcam but cut back to Elton's fantasy. Mm-hmm. So if if you actually well, maybe I I didn't watch it a second time well, I could not bring myself to watch this episode a second time. <laughs> no, so. Neither could I. 
It was just too painful the first time. The episode is clearly, you know, uh, a commentary on fanboys and and some of the you know the things that, and there is a certain amount of you know this imagination and and, and perhaps what it's his point of view and all these things. I didn't hate it as much as so many people did. I also didn't love it the way so many people did. I just took it for what it was, just a. a um, an experiment, an experiment probably gone wrong. I, I was, I was much horribly wrong, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you're an X-Files fan, you may remember an episode called uh, Jose Chung's From Outer Space, where it was all about point of view. Um, and, and, and it was a, a comical episode where you know, things were meant to be skewed a little bit. And, and, and I took it with the same sense. Um, but I, but I agree that it's an experiment that failed in my, you know, it's, it just didn't work. Well, I wouldn't mind the change of format as long as it worked within the series and within the context of what was already established as far as believability goes. And, and here, this was all cartoons. I mean, I, mean, I, I use the Scooby-Doo reference, but mm. it, it's, it's similar to Scooby-Doo where you, you have a team of, uh, young people or it doesn't matter if they, their age whatever but a team of people that are trying to like investigate and and something there's like a ghost or whatever and, and that's a typical scooby-doo episode and here you have this um absorbaloff creature and it's it's just and it, it, it all reads like a cartoon and if it's ghostbusters fine that or if you, you know if you're watching hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy that's what you expect you know uh, though I, I think you know hitchhiker's is more intelligent humor but here it's just really um, it's a cartoon, and it's not. That's not what I expect from Doctor Who. I expect something a little bit more um, believable, and um, you know. And that's not to insult those that do enjoy it. And a lot of people, which kind of you know, I find very interesting. You know, we spoke about how uh, some of us have been thinking so much about this episode, and um, for me, I, I'm trying to find like what other people might have seen in it. And there's so many people that it, we're running a poll on our website right now. Pick you know to choose your favorite episode and this has gotten um, a lot of votes and to me, I just find that very surprising that out of the whole series of, of 2006 a lot of people are choosing this as their favorite episode and um, it's it, 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 it mm. you know well before brilliant. I comment on it, I'm just going to quickly visit your website and try and redress that poll a bit by a few votes the other way <laughs> but I'm, I'll many... say as well that I'll say a few things um, if everything after or at the point of the loincloth being revealed onwards was excised, I think I would have enjoyed the episode a lot more. Um, I think the episode could work within the Doctor Who format. I tend to disregard these fans out there that... I mean, we see a lot of them on Outpost Gallifrey that have given this episode, you know, five out of five, best of the best, blah, blah, blah. I, I'll make a big call and say that... I, that Sci-fi fans, TV fans watch so much TV these days that episodes like Love and Monsters would fit into lots of other series, like we mentioned that X-Files episode where it's that sort of skew-if um, slant on our favourite show, that people translate, well, it will work somewhere, so therefore it works in Doctor Who, and I don't think that those two points of view necessarily um, match, that just because it... that that sorry, that just because people would quite happily watch it in another series and it would probably be quite good, that doesn't mean that then it works in the Doctor Who format. Um, right. There's a lot of interesting ideas in it, I think, um, but I, I've, I found the realisation of the monster quite appalling. 
And I, I think I said this to Paul before that I think it would work as an off-kilter Torchwood episode. Mm-hmm. That we have a few yeah. ep- that we have a few actual real Torchwood episodes, but then you show one that's off kilter that shows this guy who's not even part of Torchwood trying to rally these people together to find the Doctor. Um, yeah. I think it would work better in that format than it would actually work on Doctor Who. And well, you, it see, would probably... well, you see the creation of, of Linda and uh, you know uh, and, that, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there, Trev. But. It's, it just doesn't work in the Doctor Who universe. And the no, it doesn't, thing, no. The big thing that gets me is the Doctor is quite happy to kill this woman who um, is in a Cyberman out, outfit, you know, although mm-hmm. she, she's alive and she's conscious. She, know, she now has her emotions back, and who knows, she may have been able to go on and build some sort of semblance of a life as a cyber person with emotions. But the Doctor is quite happy to, to relieve her and give her a dignified death but he's he is happy to bring back this woman as a slab of concrete. Yeah, mm. and, and, and I just made that point too. Goes across, it goes against the grain of who the Doctor is and what he exactly. stands for. Uh, it just uh, it doesn't work for me. No, I, I think you made a really great point about it being if it was in Torchwood, it would probably be a situation where we could dismiss it a little easier. I just think that. By this point in the season, with this story and with the next story, I just think they ran out of a little uh, of gas because they were spending so much time and money on the, the other epics that there was just a little padding going on, and, and I think they just took some chances they shouldn't have taken. I would have yeah, been happy could do with less padding. <laughs> well, I, I would have been happy for them to to go for one episode less in this season if if that's the sort of rubbish <laughs> we're going to. Well, that's exactly. My, that's exactly how I feel as well. I've said that too. Uh, dear. Well, I, actually, I would go with two episodes less, and that leads into Fear Her. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Which, um, <laughs> to me, I, it, it just continues the Scooby Who um, sensibility again. He, you know, I, I complain that Love and Monsters turned Doctor Who into a cartoon, and here the Doctor is now literally turned into a cartoon, and it just uh, didn't work for me. Um, once again, we got the Vulcan mind meld going on, and it's just so many things in the story mm-hmm. that um, so- kind of. What was with that? The, what's with that? I have no idea what's with that. I, you know, it's becoming a, a common thing now, where where before the Doctor used to have to investigate and find the answers. Now he just mind melds with people to get the answers. But, but what was with the Vulcan salute thing too? He's like, how many fingers do I have up? Yeah. Or like, do you recognize this or whatever his shtick was? It, it may well it may well have been a, a nod to to um, to Star Trek. I don't know, but you know. Oh, it, it clearly was, but you know, like I I get the joke. I just don't, you know, why? You know, it's really what it comes down to. Why? Yeah. Yeah. There, there, were, well, there were only two things that I liked in that episode. The first was when uh, the TARDIS dematerializes, and it's round the wrong way. I thought that was quite cute. You know, they had, and then they had to rematerialize the right mm, way so they could get mm. out. So I like that. And the second thing was the actual monster in the cupboard. I did like that because it was a little bit creepy. Um, mm. But you know, there, I, I think that probably worked best out of everything in that episode yeah. was you know that that the that father cartoon yeah creature. But the the rest of it, and, and again, it comes back to. Um, you know, we have the smartest man in the universe, yet it is Rose that works out. It's the, the little girl that's the 
you know, at, at one point I thought they exchanged scripts. I thought maybe, you know, <laughs> Billy Piper took David Tennant's script and they switched because it really, I mean, Rose was like coming with all the answers and the doctor was like, you know, just following his her lead, you know, and it, it just seemed like they exchanged scripts at one point. Oh, sorry. There's a third thing that I liked. And I also liked how um, the doctor actually says, I was the father once. Yes, I like I that. I re really like that, but I wish they'd explored it more. I wish, I wish, um, you know, Rosa turned around and said, "You what? You know, you can't just say that and then walk away and say nothing more." Right, and, and she miss it. Yeah, you know, think you think Rose, who's so clingy to the Doctor, would go, "Well, what did you mean by that?" You know. Yeah, because because well, he mean, wouldn't let it. She wouldn't let it go when she found out about Sarah Jane. Right. And there's well, no that's way... why I felt it didn't work here. I mean, mm. I, I don't, I, I, I'm not against him saying that. I, you know, I was once a father. I, I just thought it just didn't work well here. Yeah. You know, I, I just, it didn't seem like it was a point. And the the other thing that that really bothered me about this, and it kind of bothers me about looking into the future, it seems that here in Britain we've lost uh, all semblance of security. If um, some bloke in a trench coat can pick up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I said that too. <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's probably the part I had the least problem with. I, I kind of thought that, um, you know, with all the excitement about London getting the games, I just thought that Doctor Who took the torch and ran with it. And no. just... Uh, uh, you are yeah, totally wrong, I'm sorry. That, that bit was totally stupid. Uh, along with that bit... Uh, along with that bit before where 80,000 people disappear and commentators just sit there and go, oh, oh my yeah. goodness, <laughs> those people have gone. Back to you, Ken. And <laughs> I mean, it, it, totally ridiculous. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But, but, then again, but then again, you have to remember that these people have seen the war between um, the Cybermen and uh, the Daleks, so nothing probably surprises <laughs> them now. Oh, yeah, 80,000 people disappearing is just a normal day for Londoners now, I suppose, yes. Yeah, yeah no. I mean, I mean, the big thing that I didn't like about this was I, I think if um, it had been shown before Idiot's Lantern, it wouldn't have suffered so much. I, I felt the stories were very similar in terms of an alien using um, masses of psychic power or whatever to try and, you know, get out of, get out of the predicament it was in. Um that the, they they seem to be very carbon copy stories, just with different types of aliens in both. Yeah. Um, um, whereas the 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 idiot's lantern one worked a lot better, I think, because um, it, it 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 was an evil alien trying to do it. But in uh, Fear Her, we had basically a benevolent alien just trying to get home or get with her other kind, and they had to invent this silly. No, rattling cupboard nonsense to you know try and get some sort of sense of menace into the episode. I mean, I I will disagree with all of you, and I say that I didn't really like it, and, and I really didn't understand what what that thing in the cupboard was. Um, so well, that was a manifestation of the the girl's fear, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. She, you know she, <laughs> yeah. she she was projecting her her greatest fear, which was her father, who was obviously abusive and and so forth, and had created this monster, This had drawn this monster, which was the manifestation of her fear. And that's what the thing in the cupboard was. Why, why, why was she projecting it? Why? Because she's a little girl and she has nightmares and 
she why, why, well, why, why wasn't there just a drawing done of Dad and he was sucked into a drawing or something? Because Dad was already dead. So if you can... For her... Because the only time that the monster came alive was when she was dreaming and having nightmares. Um, and, and when she's dreaming, she couldn't control what the monster was doing. And that's when the monster came to life. Okay, fair enough. The story just very clearly reeks of being a padded story. What can we throw together quickly? The, the monsters, like you said, were something, the, the motivations and the things going on. I, I like the motivation that it was just trying to get home, but I think that the, the, the stylings of the episode were as just let's just throw some stuff together, get through this episode, and get on to our, our season finale. Who was the writer of this episode? It was Russell Anyone? T. Davies, wasn't it? No. no. No, Russell T. Davies at Love and Monsters. This oh, was um, oh. written by someone else. Because I, mm, I, I don't know who the episode him. was written by. This was written by Matthew Graham. Uh, okay. Well, um, I, I think I liked it better when the part the, the child was part, played by Billy Mummy in the Twilight Zone, It's a Good Life, in 1961, and that was um, written by Rod Serling, based on a short by Jerome Bixby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was clearly based on that, wasn't it? It was inspired, at least, if mm. nothing else. Mm. Mm. Uh, which I'm not against. I mean, a lot of Doctor Who stories, you know, we can go back to Brain of Morbius and Frankenstein and everything, but um, it just, I, it, it just didn't, for me here, it just didn't work as well. Yeah. But luckily, we come to Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. Yes, Doctor Who returns in Army of Ghosts. <laughs> After a two-week hiatus, two yes. yes. <laughs> I, think, I think I might have to have a lie down before we discuss this in a cup of tea, because I'll tell you what, <laughs> just, just thinking about it's getting me excited. Well... <laughs> oh, thank God you're 4,000 kilometres away. <sighs> anyway. Speaking of which, we're, we're actually um, just over... We're like two hours and three minutes into this ep this recording, so perhaps um, we should take a break here, break this episode into two parts. I didn't realize we were going to go <laughs> as long as we are. Listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run GallifreyanEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. 